Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brian. Well, if I did not get a chance to earlier, uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. This is our third uh, Sunday morning to meet here at the Concrete Elementary School. We have just launched, so if you're here and you're a first-time guest, you're wondering what all you missed, well, you haven't missed much yet, all right? This is it, and uh, we did have a great grand opening, 190 people here, lots of well-wishers, lots of friends, lots of family members, lots of people from the area as well, and since then, we've had a slow trickle of visitors, and if you're a visitor here, uh, let me just welcome you. Thank you for being here today, but uh, what you have missed is that we have been on a small series, just a three-part series that I'll round out today and we'll finish it. It is simply called, What is the Gospel? And we've been looking at exactly what is the gospel. It's extremely important that, that we as Christians, as we as a church, and we as a new church, establish up front what actually is the gospel. It is a word that is used often. It is a word that is used in plentiful uh, in, in churches amongst Christians. But when you ask a Christian, what is the gospel? You will get sometimes many varied answers. And what we've been looking at is that the Bible presents one gospel. There is one message. It is the good news from God that He has given to us and that we're to pass this exact message on so that we cannot create our own gospel. In fact, that would be heretical. That would be wrong. That would be false. The book of Galatians says there's only one gospel, and if you change that gospel, let you be accursed because you've altered it. You've changed it into something that God did not give. You've made that gospel the gospel of man, not the gospel from God. So we've been looking at this. What actually is the gospel? Our theme verse has been Romans 1.16. And if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, we're going to quickly just kind of look at what we've looked at there in the past few weeks. Just quickly review. I like to review, and I mentioned this last week, uh, usually at the beginning of each sermon. I'll try to catch everyone kind of, kind of up to par what we've covered. So that if you've come in during a series, you, you don't feel like you've missed out and you can't catch up. I'll let you know what all has been going on. But we've looked at Romans 1.16. Simple, but powerful verse. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So this is huge. Here we have Paul saying that the gospel, this message, this set message that God has given us, is the power of God to be rescued, to be saved for salvation, not to everyone, not to everyone who goes to church, not to every person in the world, but to, who does it say there at the end? To everyone who believes. So here Paul is presenting a message. It is the gospel. It is also known as the good news. It is the greatest message that mankind could ever be given. Why is it so good? Because as we looked at in Romans 3 and we looked at in Ephesians 2, that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. We have all sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. Everyone since them is born sinners. We continue to sin. We sin actively. We sin with our bodies where other people see, with our mouths where other people hear. But the Bible says we sin in our minds. God knows our every thought, and our thoughts are impure and not proper to, to go before a holy God. So we are guilty. The gavel has dropped. By nature, humankind is guilty before a holy, righteous judge. We fast-forwarded this all the way to the book of Revelation, where there is the final judgment of God, and where all people go before God. And the books were open. In other words, God, who is all-knowing, 
knows everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, and people were judged by this. And that's horrifying. That is bad news. And that's where the good news comes in. Sometimes when we understand that bad news, now we long for the good news. And that is the good news of the gospel. That Look at Romans 1.16. There is salvation. We can be saved. We can be rescued from the righteous, holy judgment of God. We can not be an object of His wrath. We can actually become a child of God, we find out. Yes, the, it, the power of this, though, is in the gospel message. And as everyone who believes in that message for their salvation will be saved. So what is this gospel? Uh, what is the gospel message that we must believe in for salvation. I've summarized uh, a little bit, a bit, a bit, a little bit for you today. But uh, the gospel is simply all about Jesus. All right. So that's the first thing we have to get our mind around: that the gospel is not centered around you and the change of life and living better and getting the most of, out of each day. Or some people worded your best life now, or something to that effect. All right. But the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. And we must realize that the gospel is about Jesus. And when we present the gospel, we must, must make sure that our gospel is Christocentric. Sounds fancy, but it just means Christ-centered, all right? So the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. The gospel can best be summarized by explaining who Jesus is. If you're a note taker, you might jot this down, uh, what Jesus did and what this means for us. I had a discussion just the other day with a, with a lady who's been saved a very long time, and she was in charge of a citywide campaign. They were going to go door to door and present uh, salvation. So I asked her, well, you know, what is she going to do? And she said, well, I'm going to get as many people as I can to pray the prayer of salvation. And there was no mention of the gospel. And I said, well, will you present the gospel? And she says, well, I'm going to get them to pray the prayer of salvation. And I said, well, what about the gospel? You know, what is the gospel? Tell me about the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God and salvation. And a lady had gone to church for many years, could not figure out what the gospel actually was. So this is where we're at today. We actually have churches. We actually have good-meaning Christians who are trying to do a wonderful thing to let people know how they can be saved, but they can't quite get their, their, the words out of their mouth to present the gospel. So this quick study is designed to help us to be able to do just such as that. And if there's one of us here who has not believed in the gospel for salvation, we pray that you would indeed believe in this gospel. So the gospel is who is Jesus, uh, what Jesus did, and what this means for us. Over the past few weeks, we looked at a, a quick, simple, easy analogy that sticks in your head. Uh, peanut butter jelly sandwich. Three ingredients, peanut butter jelly. White bread, put it together. Wheat bread if you're healthy. And uh, next thing you know, you have a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It takes those three ingredients to make this one kind of sandwich. If we were to give you two pieces of bread and say, here's a peanut butter jelly sandwich, is it? Then no, it's not. It's missing ingredients, right? This is an analogy that adults and kids can get as well. If I put jelly on bread and hand that to you and say, here is a peanut butter jelly sandwich, is it? No, it's missing something. And this is what we find with the gospel, that many times today, well-meaning believers, well-meaning Christians, well-meaning churches are presenting a gospel that is just two pieces of white bread. It's missing the ingredients. It's missing what makes it the gospel. So the gospel 
if you think about it like this, has ingredients. It is a message from God. And if you begin to take ingredients out of this message that God has given us to believe in for salvation, it is nothing. It is no longer the gospel that can save your soul from hell, that can save you from facing the wrath of God. And instead of becoming the gospel of salvation, as Romans 1.16 says, it would be the opposite of that. You would have a belief in something that would not save you at all. So it's vital that we get our mind around exactly what is this gospel, exactly what is this good news. Now, I've given you a couple of different places to look at, and I'm just going to kind of go over them quickly because I think it's really good for us to look at the ingredients that the apostles are thinking of when they think of the word gospel. Paul does exactly this for us. Romans chapter 1, you go back a little ways. Verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. If you are a note taker, I encourage you to write a note in your Bible or in your notepad, whatever you have. Uh, Write the word gospel right above this. A great way to check and see if you're believing in the gospel, if you're proclaiming the gospel, is to check yourself against some of these places where the gospel is clearly presented. All right, so let's look at the ingredients where Paul presents the gospel here. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, here we go. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Again, the most important aspect of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And that that this Jesus Christ is not just a man like you and I, but he is also God. He is divine. He is eternal. He was not created as you and I were, but that He is God who has put on flesh. He's the Son of God. And we see this uh, here with Paul. He'll say statements like, This happened according to Scripture, or He promised beforehand through the prophets in Holy Scripture. And we've looked at this, and we'll look at it more in our new passage today, but that this is not some new invention of God. God didn't see the state of man and all of a sudden go, oh, no, this is bad. They need a Savior. I've got to send someone now, and I haven't mentioned this at all. I'm just going to throw this my Savior down and let them figure out if this is him or not. No, this, this story goes all the way back to the beginning of Adam and Eve, where God prophesies, to, or God speaks to them about the prophecy to come of a coming Savior, a Messiah in Hebrew, uh, Christus, or Christ, is what we use finally in English, but that this Christ, this Messiah, this Savior would come. And God would speak to man, his prophets. They would then speak more about this Messiah. And what we see is this story begins to unfold, and details are added to this story. And finally, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, God's promised Savior, arrives. So, verse 3, this gospel concerning his son, circle that, highlight it if you have to, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So this, this gospel, he is, uh, it's all about Jesus, who is God, who is also man. He is descended from David, as God said he would be. That's why we have the genealogy at the beginning of a couple of the gospels there. Uh, verse 4, it was declared to be the son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So at this Christ, this one who is God and man, absolutely holy, absolutely pure, he never did sin, he dies on the cross. He dies in our place, receiving the wrath of God on himself, but he rises from the dead. 
And here you begin to see these ingredients take place into the gospel. This one who is God and man. This one who is, who is all about the scriptures. He is fulfilling them. He is holy. He is righteous. He dies. He rises from the dead. Uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this today because I'm basically trying to quickly review. But that this, our salvation is based purely on God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God. So our salvation is not what we can do. And we do as much as we can. And then Jesus fills in the gaps and gets us to God. That's not it at all. Our gospel is 100% Christ-centered. He is God and man. He is perfect. He is holy. We are not. We need an full-on substitute to take our place, and that's what Jesus does. He lives a life that we could not live. He takes our sins on the cross and gives those who believe in Him His righteousness. So we have this full substitute, and we are saved by the pure grace of God. Let me finish this passage quickly. Uh, Verse 5, "...through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith." For the sake of his name amongst all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, look at this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. Romans 1 through 7, we have here presented the gospel. And those who believe in it, look at the end of verse 7. What do they receive? This is you and I, I hope all of you who have received, who have believed in this gospel that is Christ-centered for your salvation. You've trusted in the Christ. You've trusted in the Messiah. You've trusted in the Savior and what Christ has done for your salvation. Now you go from being an object of God's wrath, deserving His eternal judgment, to grace to you and peace from God. This is the biggest best possible thing you could receive. Think about this. The very God that made you, you've sinned against Him. You've broken His commandments. You are now an object of His wrath. You deserve eternal punishment, but He has sent a Savior. And you can receive grace. You can receive peace from God by believing in this gospel. Now, This is a great place to go to. We are studying during this series the content of the gospel. And what is that content? So this is a great place to look at. Now as we go through this though, I want to make sure that you realize uh, salvation is more than just mental uh, acquisition of facts. And sometimes I could see someone, uh, perhaps if you listen to the last couple of weeks, where we're presenting what is the gospel message, getting our mind around that exact message, You possibly could think that, oh, just those facts, that equals salvation. That's not the case. We do and must believe in the gospel for salvation. But here we see, even in Romans uh, 5 and 6 and 7, that that there is this calling from God. It is specific. It is effective where God regenerates our souls. He causes us. He, He calls us and causes us to desire Him, to believe in Him for our salvation, so that God gets all the glory for our salvation. So that's what we see here in Romans 1 through 7. And all those he calls do come to him. Just a quick uh, cross-reference, John chapter 6, verse 44, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Romans 8, 30, all those he calls come to him and are finally glorified. So we have this awesome good news, this gospel, 
that, that God saves us. He rescues us. We aren't working towards him getting closer, and he sees how good we are, then saves us, but it is him fully saving us, rescuing us, not for a day, but forever. Now, we are now in the position permanently of grace, permanently in this position of peace, no wrath. This is the greatest joy, the greatest news that mankind could be, ever be, have received. And, and it's all to God be the glory. So we don't pat ourselves on the back and say, congratulations, Trey, you know, you believed in these things and now you're saved. But it's all God. We give Him all the glory for our salvation and even the ability to believe in Him. So let's carry on. We've looked at Romans 1 through 7. Uh, quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to turn over there with me to hit the highlights of this one as well. 1 Corinthians 1.15, the content of the gospel, the ingredients of the gospel, the peanut butter, jelly, and the bread. Here's another great location to go to. Multiple places, of course, in the Bible where we have the gospel presented in this bullet point form. But here's a great one. Paul starts off there in chapter one, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, saying he's going to remind them of the gospel that he preached to them. He lets them know that this is the gospel in which you are being saved by. So it is this gospel that we can be saved by God by. Verse 3, let's look at this. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing you could possibly speak about, the most important thing we could possibly speak about is what he received. What I also received, here he goes, the gospel, the ingredients, that Christ, remember who's at the center of the gospel, it's Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. And we've mentioned this before, but Jesus' last name is not Christ. Uh, he's not referred to as Mr. Christ, but that Christ is a title that was prophesied. This, this one, this Christ, this Messiah, this Savior would come. And Paul introduces him here, that Jesus is that Christ. But that this Christ died. Why did he die? For our sins. This is huge. You're telling me that God has sent a Savior that is taking the payment, the punishment that I deserve, and He dies for the sins I have committed? This is huge. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, otherwise known as Peter, and then to the twelve, into more than 500 brothers at one time. All right, so here we have again, what is the gospel? Think through what we just looked at in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Think through what we just read here in Corinthians 15. Do your children know the gospel? Do your grandchildren know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? These are two great places to go and check. Are you wanting to let others know about the gospel, to, to witness to them, to what we call sometimes lead someone to Christ? It can be done the right way or it can be done the wrong way. And if you do it the wrong way, the salvation that comes about very well may not be true salvation. So we want to make sure the gospel we present is the gospel from God. He says he received it. He received it from God. He preaches it. He teaches it to them so that they can believe in it for their salvation. Look at the ingredients quickly once again. Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised. And then he appeared. He was raised from the dead and he appeared. He appeared, more, uh, I believe, 10 times after his resurrection to more than 500 people. He presents this gospel. Look quickly at verse 10. 
by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul once again acknowledges that it's purely the grace of God that he has been saved. And it's by the grace of God that we can be saved as well. Look at verse 11. Now, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So here's the message. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, buried, raised, and appeared. So we have all of this here. The gospel that must be believed is all about Christ. It's all about Him, who He is, what He did, and what this means for us. That we can be saved by believing in this wonderful gospel. All right, believe it or not, that was mainly a quick review. Let's turn to our main passage today, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And this this series could go on for many, many, many Sundays. And uh, what I've chosen to do is actually break up this series into multiple smaller series throughout the next calendar year. But we will revisit the gospel frequently. We will revisit the gospel often to make sure that we understand it, that we know it, that we're believing in it, and make sure our visitors and guests do as well. So Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 13 through Acts chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse uh, 14 and go through 39. Let's try that. Then we'll come back and look at this in more detail. Paul and uh, his, his companions, to summarize quickly, are on a mission trip, and they had just arrived into a new area. And they're about to be in a synagogue where he is going to teach. Verse 14. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Bethsaida. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will." All this man's offering, of this man's offering, offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Pause there just for a moment. Now, Paul has presented, we've looked at it, two bullet points of the gospel over there. We looked at Romans. We looked at 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, it's real quick. It's real, real, real poignant, all right, to the point. Just real quick bullet points of the gospel. He lets us know what these key ingredients are. But here we have basically a sermon where he is presenting the gospel. And it's a little bit lengthier. And he's stood up here in the synagogue. It's really interesting. They've asked him to stand in this synagogue, which is made of Jewish people. But if you remember back uh, in Acts, Paul lets us know that he studied under, you know, kind of the who's who. 
uh, of the teachers uh, of the Jewish religion. And so perhaps they recognized him, they knew him. Maybe he let them know that he had been, been taught under Gamaliel, the, the man. And maybe they thought, well, let's, let's see if he can share something with us today. And you notice they were reading from the law, from the prophets, and now it's Paul's turn. Paul gets up, and he presents this, the whole story. He's, he's not just starting with, hey, have you guys heard Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? If you believe in him, you can be saved. He doesn't start with that. What's he do? He goes way, way, way back. He lets them know that there is, this is the story. This is the Messiah, the Savior, that the one and only true God has been talking about all along. The very one who called Abraham, who called Isaac, who called Jacob slash Israel, who, who called them forth. Their, all of their calling, their promise was based on this Messiah. Moses he even describes this in, in, in the time of their enslavery. Uh, eventually their whole system of animal sacrifice was to show this, this Savior that was coming, that was going to be provided for the forgiveness of their sins. So he's putting this Jesus, this Savior, in context that they can understand. He's giving them kind of the whole story here. But now he says of this, verse 23, of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So this is big. This is huge. The entire history of the Israel nation was dependent on this coming Savior, this coming Messiah that they were all looking forward to seeing. This was going to be God's source of salvation for them. And now Paul has stood up and said, He's come, and you guys have missed it. He has actually been here. God has already sent His Savior. He has sent the one from David, just as He said He would. This is the one that he promised, and now he has come. So look, uh, we see here, well, I'll just read this one to you. 2 Peter 1.21 lets us know that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Speaking of these prophets and prophecies. So this is not uh, educated guesses. This is not uh, going to read, uh, have someone read your palm or something like that. All right, When God speaks to a man and they prophesy... These things absolutely will come true. There are no variables involved that could change. How is that? Because God knows everything. God is beyond time and space. So when God speaks to a man, like you and I, except they were called specifically to be a prophet, and says, and lets people know that the Messiah will look like this. He'll be born here. These things will happen. Then they absolutely will happen according to to the scriptures that we have. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is in control. We cannot break God's chain of uh, events that are going to take place. God sees everything at one time. So when God speaks, these things absolutely will come true. This is what Paul is saying. All these things have come true. This is the one. The promised Messiah has come. So these prophets are carried along by the Holy Spirit. They speak from God. Look at verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? Am I not he? No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Now, why is he talking about John the Baptist now? 
He was about to present to them the promised Savior, the promised Messiah, and now he switches to John the Baptist. And he is giving, he is giving the gospel to people who, who are very familiar with the Scripture. And so he goes back to John the Baptist because those who had studied and they had uh, uh, um, uh, Malachi and uh, also, also uh, the other prophecies in Scripture, especially Isaiah, knew that there had to be a messenger, a prophet like Elijah, that would come before the Messiah would come. So this is critical. So he is saying, this Jesus has come. He is the Savior. But don't just listen to me. The messenger has come. Now they understood this. There could not be a Messiah unless there was a messenger first. Malachi states this and Isaiah states this. And here they are getting it. They're understanding now that Paul is not just making this up. He is actually letting them know the gospel and it's happened just as God said it would. So we have John the Baptist. If you remember the story just briefly, uh, over 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What breaks that silence? What breaks that silence is, is not the birth of Jesus, but it's the birth of who? It's the birth of John. It's the birth of the, John the Baptist, is what we call him. But the messenger has to come before the Messiah. And we have the angel Gabriel who meets John the Baptist's dad, Zacharias, in the temple and announces to him that you are about to have the messenger, the prophesied one, who will be like Elijah, who will prophesy. 400 years of silence. The last prophecies in Malachi have to do with the messenger and the Messiah that will come. And now Gabriel, the angel, shows up and announces, this is it. Your child is going to be the messenger. And if you remember, Zacharias did not believe him. So he was struck dumb. He could not speak until finally uh, it was time for the baby to be born. They asked him, what is his name going to be? And he could not speak, but he writes, his name is John. Because that's what Gabriel told him to name him. And as soon as he writes the name John, then his mouth is open. And he begins to tell everyone that this is the messenger. So this is huge. This is no little thing. John the Baptist is, is the most important prophet, prophet, you might say, of all time because he is announcing the Messiah is here. And this is what he does. As Jesus is baptized, the, God's voice from heaven comes and everyone hears what is said there. Also, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And he announces him so that people will know. So Paul here is telling them, the messenger came. You know John. They said thousands upon thousands would go see John. They would listen to his words, listen to what he would say. And many were baptized by him. He was calling them to repent, calling them to see their sin so that they would see the need for a Savior. So he's putting all the pieces together for them here to see. Verse 26, brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those amongst you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. So now we're getting to the ingredients of this salvation. Uh, To us has been sent the message of this salvation. What is implied here is stated very clear for us in Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This one God has, that we've sinned against has told us all along the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ was coming. God would send one. And it was belief in Him, obeying Him, 
that would bring about salvation. How are we supposed to be saved without this? Can we go create our own way? Can we make up our own gospel? Absolutely not. This is it. God's salvation has come. Paul is about to give them the gospel, the good news, the message of this salvation. Verse 27, remember what the gospel is about. It's about Jesus, what he does, and what it means for us. Here we go. Paul's going to lay this out for us. Verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Really interesting point here. Talk about the sovereignty of God. Uh, man kills the Messiah. But there are, no, there are no contingencies in God's plan. God doesn't see them doing one thing and have to adjust his plan over here. But you'll notice that Paul here alludes to the sovereignty of God. He is in control. And they, went up, they killed the Messiah, but they did it exactly as the scriptures had already prophesied that they would do. That the Messiah would come and that they would persecute him and that they would kill him as well. Acts 2 verse 23, where Peter is preaching, he says something very similar. This Jesus delivered up. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, God's plan of salvation was coming, and it could not be stopped by man. He is God, and this is the salvation that is coming. Verse 28, And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Now, if you remember much about this, there was nothing Jesus had ever done that would be sinful. He was absolutely the spotless Lamb of God, absolutely perfect. There was no sin He had ever committed. There's nothing He had ever done wrong. And they tried and tried and tried. They even had witnesses come tell lies about Him. The witnesses' stories wouldn't match up. Finally, they accused Him of blasphemy because He claimed to be the Son of Man. He claimed to be the Son of God. And that's what ended up, they said, that's it, we're going to kill you now. And they absolutely did. But he had done nothing wrong. He claimed to be exactly who he said he was and who he truly was. Verse 29, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So again, we have this gospel that is being presented. Jesus, the Christ, the one who has been prophesied, has now come. He was innocent. He was holy. He was put to death, and he was laid in a tomb. Now, if you look at verse 29, it doesn't say the word cross. They took him and put him down. What does it say instead? It says tree, if you notice that. Paul here is using something that is a quote he quotes later in Galatians, uh, drawn from Deuteronomy. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So you notice this connection here in verse 29. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. The Jewish people understood the law. They had it read to them all the time. He was in a synagogue. They were very familiar with the scriptures. They understood to be hung on a tree meant that you were cursed by God. Paul knew what he was saying when he said he, they took him down off the cross. No, they took him down off the tree. He wanted them to understand that he was there for a reason. He was there to take the curse that they, that we deserved on himself. He pays the price for us. He becomes the object of God's wrath 
for us. He takes hell upon himself so that we do not have to, so that we can be saved, we can be rescued from it. 1 Peter 2.24, have that one on the screen for you. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So what was going on on that tree is that Christ was becoming a curse for us so that we could become the blessing of God. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness all because of our sin. So that's what he's doing on the cross. Verse 31, and for many days, oh, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. Another key ingredient to the gospel message, all right? God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So when you share the gospel, think about this for a moment. I think this is a key ingredient that is not mentioned much in scriptures any longer. Uh, not mentioned, sorry, in our gospel presentations any longer. But do you, do you mention these types of things? Do you mention these ingredients of who Jesus is and what he has done? I've heard for years many people try to narrow the gospel down to something that really there's nothing there to believe in. Where if we say, you just need to believe in Jesus Christ. Are you, what, what about the details? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? And what do I need to believe in him for? Or what if you say you just need to ask Jesus into your heart? You know, what is that? That's really confusing. Is that the gospel? There's not enough there, right? If you believe in that, is that enough? You've left out all the ingredients. You just have two pieces of white bread and that's it. There's no peanut butter jelly sandwich there. So, so what are these ingredients? What if you tell someone, hey, do you have a relationship with God? Is, is that the gospel? So we have to understand the power of God for salvation is in this gospel. We as Christians are commanded by Christ to proclaim the gospel. What is that gospel? It's all about Christ. It's all about what He did and what this means to us. That our sins can be erased. Our sins can be forgiven. That Christ bears the price for us. He bears the punishment for us. He pays the price on the cross so that we can be rescued. So that we can be saved from the wrath of God. So here we have the, these key ingredients. Uh, do, we, do you mention, I have this as a question to think about, but when you share the gospel, do you usually mention Christ's resurrection? Or do you leave him dead? Uh, a question comes to mind. I've, I've heard many people present the gospel before, and, and very rarely do they mention this. But every case that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, this is considered a vital ingredient, that Christ did die, and he also uh, rose from the dead. Verse 32, or verse 31, He appeared to many for many days. We know this, that he appeared to uh, many people for 40 days before he ascended back into heaven to receive all authority from God and will be the ultimate final judge of all mankind. Verse 31, For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Verse 32, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. Let me pause there for a moment. So now he says, this has happened. I bring to you the good news. Look at this. He brings to them the good news that what God promised to the fathers, 
He has fulfilled to us their children. Look at it closely with the next little phrase there. By raising Jesus. The ultimate stamp of approval that Christ is truly the Messiah. I mean, he was performing signs, miracles, and wonders. The voice from God multiple times from heaven. The transfiguration. All these things are pointing to him. He's fulfilling the prophecies. John the Baptist comes before him. But ultimately, he dies. But he rises from the dead. He defeats death. And that this is the ultimate stamp of approval. That everyone listening should be aware and, make, and realize that He is truly God's only Savior. We cannot raise ourselves from the dead. This is truly supernatural event that is going on. So God raises Him from the dead, meaning the payment did work. Uh, the price had been paid. The curse had been lifted. He had paid the price. He had died for us. And He rises from the dead. Amongst many, over 500 people see him. God's promised good news had now arrived. What is the ultimate proof? It is the resurrection. So that we put this ingredient into our gospel, of course. And then he, he par- paraphrases some of the Psalms here uh, to, to show that, that Christ has done everything just as God promised he would. He quotes from David. He says, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. He's letting them know that this has happened just according to Scripture. God raised him from the dead just as he was supposed to. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Look at this. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is it. This is the gospel. This is beautiful. He lets us know who Jesus is. And again, this is more of a sermon format, not the bullet points that we've looked at. But he lets us know who Jesus is. He lets them know what Jesus did and what this means to them. What's he say? Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Unbelievable. We can be forgiven permanently, forever, by God. No, no longer deserving the wrath of God, but Christ takes that on Himself, that we can be rescued, we can be saved. How, who is going to be saved? Again, look at verse 39. And by Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And again, we see this super close connection to the gospel being presented, and our response is to believe in that gospel. We are commanded to believe in it. And this is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we are saved by. This is the gospel that we must stand on as a church, that we must continue to to speak to others. As Paul received it from God, he gave it to others so they could be saved as well. And this is what we are commanded to do as well. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful salvation. 
that we can be saved. We can be rescued. The promised Messiah, the promised Savior has come. He has fulfilled all the scriptures from the law to the prophets. Everything has happened accordingly as you said it would. And all these signs he has fulfilled. He has fulfilled every one given by the prophets. He is the ultimate Messiah. You put your full stamp of approval on him by raising him from the dead so that all who witnessed and even us today can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is the true Savior, that even death could not keep him down. Thank you, God, for putting on him the curse of our sin. Thank you for allowing Jesus to bear our sin punishment so that we can be rescued, we can be saved, because we cannot keep the law ourselves. But Christ has done it for us. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here who has not believed in this gospel for their salvation, Lord, we pray that you would call them to your salvation, to your gospel message today. And all those who are saved, may we trust in it evermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship, please. Thank you.